0: Hey there, True Multifamily listeners, Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here today with Seth Teagle of The Stream Group. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Seth, like you, is one of our listeners of the show and reached out because he has a true multifamily story to share with us. So if you are like Seth and you're listening to the show and you feel like you can add value to our listeners. I encourage you to reach out and send me a message at Justin at because I definitely want to hear from you. You guys are my audience. You are listening to the show. You can add the most value, so I would absolutely love that, and I hundred percent mean that. When the, as soon as Seth messaged me, I was so excited. It, it got me so excited, Seth, that you were like, "I listen and I want to be on the show." I have so much yeah. to add, so thank you. Uh, and it's really awesome to to have uh, have this community out there and these people that are, are listening. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Well, welcome.
0: That was a very long way to say. Welcome to the show. <laughs> no problem. Um, so Seth, uh, people may or may not know you. Tell us about uh what you're doing in real estate here. Yeah, I would I would dare to say that most don't know me. Uh <laughs> I'm not on changes after today. Of, yeah, exactly. But
1: yeah, like you said, I'm a uh a longtime listener, first time caller, right? So I I yeah. uh, I love the uh the, the real stories and being in the trenches and whatnot, um, I, you know, we were kind of talking before I'm, I'm an advocate against, uh, people that just go around and talk about multifamily and, and want to put contracts on things and buy things and whatnot, but then they really have no idea how to run the property or truly get the returns that they're saying that they're going to get for people. Uh, and it happens way more than uh, people believe, or, you know, uh, they think it probably does. So, uh, so that's kind of, like I said, what, what, what I love about it. And that's why I started listening to yours. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, they're, you're clearly in the middle of it all the time. So uh, mm. I like that, but, uh, I, appreciate myself, that. I started, uh, in real estate about six years ago, seven years ago. Um, I wanted, I knew, so first of all, I'm a full-time firefighter. I still am. So I've that's my normal career. Awesome. Um, I've been that doing that for 21 years. So basically right out of high school, I went to fire service and, you know, I, had a good career, or I have a good career, but I was working and working and working and working overtime and just really trying to create a better life for my family. But I, in the meantime, I was like just crushing myself, uh, you know. And I was like, how do I get out of this rut, or what do I figure out? And uh, somehow I came across the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, and it wrecked my world for, you know, I mean, it was, it was great. So I, it has that effect,
0: right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I just had never really thought about it that way. So I really started getting into. You know, trying to get into real estate and, and learning about that, I met a contractor that was uh, I'd actually hired for a project, and he was flipping houses. And so we talked, and that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. Uh, I worked with him, um, started doing his uh, project management for some of his flips because I was I have a pretty good good construction background with my career, so uh, it was easy for me to um, you know just deal with that stress level, the organization, the running the contractors, knowing. Whether or not it was actually being done right, whether or not it looked right, whether or not you know all those things that that help you do that. So I did that for a while, uh, and then I moved into the project ma- or the property management role for him, and I managed his portfolio of about twenty-five doors uh, for about a year. And all the while, I was learning and absorbing as much as I could, listening to podcasts, reading books, you know, whatever I could. And uh, I realized that multifamily was really the route that I wanted to go, just because of the ability to scale. And, you know, that's really where, like, I kind of feel like there's two different levels in real estate investing. You're either small and struggling to make it, or you're really big, you know, you go really big and then you're, you're, you have this big machine that you're trying to take care of. And I shouldn't say machine in the fact that like, you just got to keep buying properties and deals, whether they make sense or not, but it allows you to kind of take some of the tasks that if you're a single owner, you have, you have to do all of them yep. and really hire people or push it out onto other people. And it allows you to, you know, it makes the workload less for you as an individual. So uh, I bought into the multifamily stuff, uh, you know, it kind of gone kind of back and forth on how I, what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do my first purchase. Cause I knew that it had to be a home run and uh, was able to talk to another investor that I knew it was an older guy that um, I had a great relationship with and pitched him on the idea of taking my money and taking his money. And we go find the biggest thing that we can buy and let's do it like all in. We're going to get it done. And, uh, I found a 50 unit in a submarket of Columbus, Ohio, really like a tertiary market. But I went out there because it was, you know, it was like, where can I get the most for my money? And so I went out there and the numbers worked and, you know, I was, I was probably didn't know what I didn't know situation, but I jumped in with both
0: feet and we bought it. And, uh, and then I had it
1: do the renovation it's for
0: a year. Pause you right there. Cause yeah. there's a million things to unpack. Everything ah, no, you just I'm said. Is so Sorry. good. Super, I know we're happy to be here. So. I love it, man. I love it. So what you just said is you were working, right? And yep. you were, this is in your role as a firefighter, right? Yep. And you read the book and you had this moment of inspiration. And so you found a guy who was flipping houses and you're like, let me kind of learn from him, help him add value to his organization. And so you're doing like some construction management and all that. And then the next year you see an opportunity and You say, well, why don't I manage property manage these things for you? Right. And yep. so you're continuing to add value. You're not an owner, but you're adding value and you're learning the business Correct. as you go. Um, and for anyone that wants to be an operator, I just want you to think about that section of, of Seth's story because without expectation of like, we're going to go buy this giant thing together. You're just like, I'm inspired. I want to be around it. And let me see where I can help. Um, Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I was looking for like on the job training, you know, that was it. Yeah. Sounds like you got it. Uh, So then you say, okay, multifamily is the way to go. I want to be part of a team because I don't want to do it all myself. I heard you say. Um, And then where does this other investor come in? Is this guy you were working for, this other investor that you decided to go Buy a large deal with what's the what's that? He was, it was
1: actually my stepdad. So my mom okay. and him had been married for a while, but he'd always uh, had rentals, and you know, I had never really talked to him about it. And then when I started getting realizing that I could reach the uh, financial goals that I had through real estate, I was like, well, let me go talk to him. And and he's he was in his mid sixties at the time, and was kind of in a position where he had equity in his properties. And it was just sitting there. And he was, you know, he's the typical mom and pop owner where he's, you know, he had a portfolio of like 20 units, a little mobile home park, a little apartment building, but he does all the maintenance, property management, everything himself. And so he could never scale. I mean, he never even thought to get bigger than that, you know, but he was cash flowing
0: good and he was happy. So. So you, what was that conversation like, right? Because I think it's a point that a lot of people get stuck where they're Like, okay, I feel like I've got some confidence, but how do I, how do you pitch yourself to say like, I know what I'm doing, (laughs) you know, give him enough confidence to take that equity out and put it with you while you're going to go buy a property. Tell tell us about that a little bit.
1: So, I mean, I I literally put together like a resume and then I had a whole pitch together because we don't live in the same state. He lives in Arkansas and I live in Ohio. So they were, I knew they were coming up to visit and I knew that there was potential for us to do some kind of partnership. Um, obviously he's never has no obligation to me to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I just took it on as if I was like going to a bank or as going to somebody else. I put together a whole document of, you know, here's, here's the projects that I've managed. Here's the size, here's the budgets that the, you know, that we had done. Uh, these are the different properties that I've managed. This is the amount of stuff and just some experience. You know, I try to create like a credibility kit or a credibility mm-hmm. paperwork that what I could present to him. And then, you know, I had it all thought out. And like I said, I just went into like a real sales pitch. And um, I just I don't know. I knew I could do it. And I don't think that he was like gung ho right away. But then after he heard all the things that I had done and learned and I had this really like well put together document, uh, he was willing to take the chance. So
0: anyone that wants to get into multifamily, I feel like I'm going to send them this episode because everything you just so very clearly laid out is really a a great summary of, of what I tell people. Um, just this morning, someone reached out on LinkedIn. i was like, I want to buy my first, you know, 30, 40 unit property. I have no real estate experience. And I'm like trying through our LinkedIn messages to convey everything you just said. I'm yeah. uh, so perfect uh, because you got to put in the work ahead of time to build that credibility. And I love that you approach, you know, a family member with the same level of professionalism as if you're walking into a bank or into the shark tank, really. Right. And, yeah, and absolutely. You got, you've got your contingencies, you got your plan together, you know how it's going to work. Now, obviously, you know, you had not done that. You had not done a 50 unit, but you had other experience that you could rely on that, you know, translated some some credibility. What was the thought process behind going after a 50 unit versus picking up some smaller multis or single families?
1: Well, I what I had learned when I was managing was that this is like I was running all over town. And you know, and like I said, I was really thinking of like, okay, if I'm gonna keep my career in the beginning, I was like, if I can keep my career, how am I gonna do this and not like lose my family? because I'm now I'm working and I'm going to got to go take care of all this stuff. And the guy that I was working for, he wasn't big enough to do it. Right. He like that. I realized quickly that him and I had different thoughts on the right way to do things in the wrong way. You know, we, I buy probably more expensive things to put into my units because they last longer. And he would buy, you know, I'll kind of like do shortcuts or, or buy cheaper stuff because it was cheaper right now. Okay. Um, and so I just, you know, going through that stuff, um, running all over town, every unit that he had was different. So the layout was different. The vanities we could use were different. The toilets were different. The carpet, the, the flooring was different. The square footage was different, you know, everything. And so it made it um, a lot harder to, the way I looked at it was like, it was harder to scale, right? And for me, I needed to scale because if I was going to main, keep my career at the time and a happy family life, right, I had to be able to bring other people into this to help me do some of the, uh, jobs that maybe I were, were not as high level. Right. Uh, that that was why I was like, I need, I wanted to find the, like I said, the biggest thing that I could. And, and, uh, it just happened to be that, you know, that, that place where we bought. So. I
0: I love it. Your story is fairly similar to mine. You know, I I had some smaller rental properties, single family properties and flipped a house and all that. But yeah, when I decided to go into multifamily, I'm like, why go for a 20 unit? Why not swing for the fences? Right. And I was targeting mm-hmm. a 50 unit and landed on a 40. Um, and uh, it's like, yeah, there's so much more scalability in a, in a property of that size. And now the funny thing is, I'm learning there's so much more scalability in a property 10 times that oh, size. You know, when you yeah. get to the two, three, and 400 units, it's like even easier to manage because I have teams of people. Right. Um, so, uh, man, I have so much I want to cover with you. Let's get into this property itself. Um, So you decide you want to go for a 50 unit. You have no prior multifamily experience. How do you find it, underwrite it? Um, Just take us through this whole process.
1: (laughs) So again, I I didn't know what I didn't know back then. (laughs) So uh, I actually found it through a realtor, the guy that owns it. He was become a friend of mine. Um, He just was going to list it. And this gal that I knew, I just happened to like be in the office for something else. And she was talking about it. I'm like, well, Hey, I'd be interested in, in looking at that. So she sent me the stuff. And literally I, all, all the underwriting that I did was like a back of the napkin type underwriting that I was like, look, I knew the mark. I knew the market a little bit. I did some market research. Um, I knew what the rents could be, you know, and I knew what he was running it as. And then when I went and looked at it, I'm like, man, I could run this thing so much more efficiently because he, you know, it was an hour from where he lived. His property manager was where he lived and they had hired like a local guy down there. But well, when I went down there and met that guy, I'm like, this guy is like, you've got to be kidding me. Like he's, yeah. he's got a pulse and he's in a warm body. That's all that he was doing. So I knew that there was potential, a ton of upside. And so that was it. I mean, I, I getting in finance is probably part, the hardest part out of all of it. Because again, I went to banks, I went to four different banks before I knew what a loan broker was mm-hmm. I went to four different individual banks did the pitch. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, we can do this. It looks great. And then they drug me on for two or three weeks before their credit committee said, nah, we're not going to do it. Or, or they will all of a sudden want 30% down or whatever, you know, to, and through my, um, through my real estate attorney, he actually recommended that I go talk to a loan officer. He knew where their bank kept all the loans on their own books. So their, their box that the deal could fit in could be a little, little hairier or a little, you know, out of the ordinary versus going to a regular bank. Um, and so I called and they were able to do the loan and they, you know, again, it's confidence, uh, being prepared, have you know having the professional stuff ready to go when you go in and talk to them. Because whatever I did was enough for them to say, you know, what I think this guy can do it, and so they did the loan. You know, I mean, it was a one point seven million dollar loan, first loan I'd ever done, and, and uh, they did it. And and uh, you know, I mean, I look back and now I'm like, man, how did I ever get that to work? But
0: what what do you think? Um, what were the reasons for rejection from the first few banks that you went to,
1: and what uh, do you think was, was
0: different not- about the last one?
1: Uh, so, some of them were, um, it didn't cash flow to their debt coverage ratio in the beginning that they wanted. Some of it was, well, two of them I got told, well, you know, your resume is great. Again, I went in there with my resume, went in there with all my experience. And they're like, this all looks great, but you've never owned apartments. And that was like the killer, right? They were, you know, mm-hmm. you, you could flip houses for 20 years, but you've never owned an apartment complex. You never had this big of a budget and this huge of a loan before. Um, and so I realized, you know, early on that even guys that like, I've got a lot of friends that flip houses and they all want to do a deal with me or be involved so they can kind of get a cockpit view of what I do so that way they can at least build a little bit of a resume and have some idea. But yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I went, you know, I think it was a lot of the recommendation from the attorney that I knew, you know, so again, it was a network, you know, he was confident that I could get it done. And I think he relayed that a lot to her and then she was able to sell it to her, to her bank.
0: So man, having an in is absolutely key. That's um, awesome, um, and you were still local. And so one thing that I ran into when I was looking for my um, for my forty unit a few years back was that I did not live near the property. I was six mm-hmm. hours away, multiple states away. I was in New Jersey, the property is in Virginia, and every bank was like, "Who is this guy from New right. Jersey? Why am I going to lend him?" You know, similar loan amount actually too. Um, so, yeah, that's that's another obstacle that, you know, even on top of everything that Seth is saying here, with the credibility and experience, if you don't live near your property, that's going to be even another challenge. But I will say, um, you know, there's a way to get over all of that. Now, Seth, if you kept getting um, bounce backs from like, no experience, no experience, you you could always bring someone in with experience, right? And that's a yep, lovely absolutely. thing about apartments is there's plenty of equity. There's plenty of upside that you can start slicing off pieces mm-hmm. for what you need, right? You need yep. a, a high uh, key principal with a high net worth, you can slice off equity. You need someone that lives nearby, yeah, you can slice off equity, you know, experience, balance sheet, slice off equity. So yep. um, really great. Okay. So you, you, Found this deal sort of by happenstance. You were in the room listening, which is awesome, and and spoke up. Um, you got the loan from it was a community bank. You said, "Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much." Okay, and uh, and then you closed and you popped the champagne and everything was great. <laughs> Episode over, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, tell us tell us a bit about you know the plan and what happened and um, you know everything that goes into yeah. owning so- a fifty unit for the first time.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, like you said, yeah, he was like, woo, we closed on this thing. I'm like, this is great. Right. And then I didn't hear it. So we closed like mid-September. And I didn't hear anything. And I, at the time I thought I, I had done all my research. I hired a third party property management company, but I had, I had met with them. I kind of interviewed them. They were reputable in the area. They said they had done stuff like this before where, um, where they uh, done a value add or, you know, similar situation. And so I was like, Oh, this would be great. Like they'll, they'll be able to help and they'll know what they're doing and i had had there's a buddy of mine in cleveland who's got about nine 850 doors up there we had talked a little bit before i bought this and the first two weeks go by and i'm like man it's pretty quiet like this is great you know like i own this big property and then the rents came in and i was like this is it you know And, and so what i found out was that they didn't tell me was within those first two weeks of them basically they gave up their welcome packets and and went around and tried to talk with the tenants. The tenants realized that the gig was up and a lot of them left. Um, and so I went from having a 96% occupancy to like 70 overnight. And luckily, Ouch. I part of what I had thought about before was how low can the occupancy go and still cash flow enough to cover, cover the debt service and insurance and whatnot. And it couldn't go much lower than that. I'll put it that way. But I was, you know, they never called me about it. So it wasn't until like the 10th or 11th of, uh, of the next month that I found out about this. And then I went into kind of like, You know, I kind of got uh, pretty excited about that, right? Because that's something that you should tell me uh, immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. In in Cleveland, and I'm like, hey, you know, what what do I do? And he's like, I'd fire them right now. He's like, that is absolutely something that they should have told you. And he's like, and it's just a precursor to what's going to, you're going to deal with in six months. Um, I didn't fire them because I didn't have any other option, right? But what he did tell me was that I was super, I was like way undercapitalized. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I've got $50,000 in the bank. And he's like, that's not enough, not even you know anywhere near enough. So uh, that ignited me to really get on the uh, private lending uh, trail. And I started talking to people that I knew, friends and family, putting it out there that I was looking for, debt investors. Um, and so I, I ended up raising about $200,000 to go towards renovations because my loan didn't wow. cover any of that. It was just a straight buy the property, fix it off the cash flow. Well, now there isn't any cash flow. So what am I going to do? You know, and, and that was what he... Advised, and so I got really, really took that to heart and, and um went after that. But uh, you know, I ended up it caused me to end up having to do a lot of the work myself in the beginning, and it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, I own this, it's either going to fail, am I, I'm going to lose all this money, or I'm going to just you know dig in and get have some grit, and we're just going to get through it. And whatever that looks like is what it's going to have to be, and um, you know, it, it ended up being really great because um you know, a, a year later, we ended up refinancing and made a million dollars in an upside. So. Oh,
0: that's <laughs> all. Yeah, right, you know, the, all the sleepless so, nights and the hard work. <laughs> Did you, you paid off your private debt then with that out of the refi?
1: Yep. Paid all the wow. private debt. So you off, borrowed, um,
0: you borrowed $200,000 from friends, family, people in your network uh, at for debt for this property and put it to work and then a year later we were able to refinance and bring a million dollars out of the refi is that what happened
1: yeah yep Man. so, and, so and, and it was i got to the point where like i said we were i mean i had you know we were any any credit at my home equity line credit cards you know anything that i had i was using because i just knew if i could get this property right and get it to um the refi that i would it was like my proof right it was the i just knew that the plane then would be off the ground and we'd be we'd be flying um, so it, it, uh, it worked out pretty well. Uh, like I said, I, I ended up terminating that management company. Uh, there was a whole lot of problems with, with them. How far and, in, how far in did you? I, terminate them? So I foolishly for me, I guess I waited a, the full year because okay. I was so focused on con like the contractors and the renovation and budgeting and, and doing all that, that I was like, the last thing I want to do is deal with the leasing side. Yep. yep. But they weren't leasing to, uh, what we had agreed on. They were, I mean, they were moving the needle, right? But it wasn't like to market. And then the other uh, real problem that I had was because I was on site so much, like I would always have tenants coming up to me. They're like, "Hey, I, you know, I've got a maintenance problem, but I can't get hold of anybody." And they were so insulated in their office and wanted the tenants to communicate with them via online or mm-hmm. you know, they you know call the maintenance line. Well, then you call the maintenance line. You know, you're getting a uh, a automated service. And, you know, if you're in C-class, a lot of tenants either, A, don't have computers, or they don't, they're not real savvy online. They, you know, they just, rather than be bothered or bogged down by digital, you know, calling and having to go through 20 prompts, they just don't call. And and so it just became, you know. Like so actually a really good point, by the way. There's a lot of issues with that. So as soon as I could get rid of them, um, I did. And, and the guy that I have now that I work with, uh, he's phenomenal
0: do you, do the listeners ever call the emergency maintenance line for your management company? What is that experience like? What is the process for calling the office? How do they answer the phone when you call the office during business hours or after hours? Um, It's something that we all probably need to be doing more of because that is a big part of the experience that you don't even really realize. So I love that tip. And actually something I'm going to write down over here, because uh, that's something that I need to do more of. I do it every now and then, but um you know calling the emergency maintenance line like what if it just goes to a dead-end number and no one's calling it and then the tenants never tell you and then you're just frustrated right and everyone's frustrated so what a great point so then you made the decision to fire them and what is the plan you're looking for a third-party manager or you're deciding to do this yourself
1: so on that one i still was like when i was in the middle of it i actually one of the maintenance guys that i had worked for me his he was renting from another broker that was in that area that was kind of like starting his property management company along with the broker. I mean, he had the brokerage that was established, Um, but that guy had 50 single family homes in the area and he came and we met and he was like, look, I want, I, you know, he uh, proven manager, but I would be like his one customer, right? So he would manage all of my stuff along with his own. And after talking a lot, you know, and, and really kind of going over like what my vision was and what had to happen because of what I'm trying to do, uh, he just, he was, you know, like if they had a maintenance line, they called, they got his office, you know what I mean? If they, he was no longer so isolated yeah. and he had, he hired somebody specifically to watch over my property. And they were, they were way more, uh, a ton of onsite presence. They were, they were just present really. And that's, you know, in, in a C-class property, especially if it's being mismanaged and it's kind of like the wild West, when you take over, having an onsite presence is so key because it, there's just too many things in the beginning that are still going crazy that, you you know, it, it, it's just, it, it, I've just found that to be the case. So whether, it doesn't actually have to be me, right? But, you know, man, and everybody always says, oh, you never put anybody on site unless it's 100 units. Well, if you buy a 50 unit and it's one of like the worst in the area, and you're trying to really do this whole value, I take it from where, from like a low CD to a, to a high CB maybe, you know, it might benefit you to hire somebody for a year to, to do that. You know what I mean? It yeah, just all are, is there all the time uh, because it's, it's just what it, it just, it just requires
0: a lot of babysitting. Um, Build it into your upfront, you know, call it CapEx, whatever you need to call it extra yeah, reserves up front. Yeah. But I mean, what does it cost for a person for a year? Right. I mean, 40 grand, 50 grand, you know, they're going to take care of that property so much better by being on site. Yeah. So and, you'll move, you, and
1: you'll move from point A to point B so much mm-hmm. faster by having that there, you know, where if you don't I like that, you know, it, it just, it, it, you know, you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. And paying for it later to me was way more expensive than it would be just to pay for it up front. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I've, that I've learned, you know, and, and again, it just depends on the property and the tenants that are there, you know. I mean, I do, now we do like lease audits. We do, I have a friend's accountant. I mean, we have, we do our own management on 90% of our portfolio. I mean, there's so many things I've learned from that experience that, you know, it has really just helped me uh, navigate, as we've grown, and got bigger.
0: Yeah. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget that first one. Oh yeah. Um, now you still own it. Yep. So you did yep. your refi and uh, now you're just, yeah, we, and, and that probably
1: we gross uh, about 10,000 more a month than he netted, or I'm sorry, we net 10,000 more a month yeah. grossed when we bought wow. it. So it's, it does very, very well now. So you,
0: you know, doubled up at least right? yep. double yep. The value. So nice job on that. Um, so you alluded to what you're doing now. I want to transition away from the 50 unit um, give us sort of a brief summary of what happened, you know, from there to where you are now. And then I really want to talk about, you know, your company structure. Yeah. Days.
1: So uh, I was, I did the, the, the 50 and then I bought another 40 down there from the same guy. Cause I was like, man, I'll follow you all over the place. Now I know what the deal is and I yeah. can make that kind of money off of your properties. I'll just, absolutely. So I bought the next one from him. Cause he's like, Oh, you know, I want to get out of this one too. And I'm like, sounds good. Let's go. And uh, so that one went well and then you know, I was really in a weird spot because I was I was I was so busy like running the properties and make, you know and making sure that everything was going good and really asset managing right because I wasn't on the ground I was I've never signed a lease with one of the tenants I've never answered a maintenance call I mean I didn't have to do that kind of stuff but really being in the thick of the operations is you know it's it, it's hard to be the podcast guy and the marketing guy and the growing all this other stuff when you're in the middle of all that, which I love that. That's like my, you know, that's probably my my wheelhouse. You know, I enjoy that stuff a lot. Um, But in that, I was like, I don't you know, how do do I start raising capital, right? How do I start meeting these people, you know, on a big scale to go buy this huge property? Well, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, Columbus is like a super hot market and there's all this out-of-state money that wants to come here. And so I thought really what I need to be doing is promoting myself as a solid operator in my market. And if you're looking to buy something in my market, I'm the guy to call. Right. And so doing that on some different uh, like Facebook groups and whatnot, I met a couple of guys that were from Utah that were looking to buy in my market and they had no local presence. They didn't know anybody out there. And I was like, look, let's partner up. You know, you guys have the KP, you have the net worth liquidity, you know, but I can, uh, you can say, hey, this broker called me about this property. What do you think? And I, I can tell you exactly where it's at, what that area is like, because brokers are always going to present the best light. Every area yeah. that they're trying to sell in is a growing area. It's all just buying, you know, oh, it's going to be great. And it's like, you know, I can like the city's dumped $10 million, $10 billion into that area for the last 10 years. And it's not changing, you know I mean? So there, there's a lot to, I would say that if you're out of state, and you're buying somewhere else, the biggest, one of the biggest things, that you, pieces you need to find is in a local person that is actually operating or knows what they're doing in that market. Yes. Because it's, it's like, it's huge. And so we did two deals with those guys, a 180 unit and a 70 unit. Um, and I actually, it, it it allowed me to propel into the property management side. So I have a separate company that is the stream group that we, we now manage. Um, we have our own construction company. And like I said, and we buy, Department. so we've completely vertically integrated. Um, those guys have their own company still. They're, you know, I mean, it's like a kind of a deal by deal basis. But it allowed me to go from, you know, my hundred units to almost four hundred units overnight, and be able to, you know, and be able to manage that that stuff. And, and uh, so that's that kind of is what we started doing. And now we're up to uh, just under six hundred doors. And I actually uh, submitted the LOI on my first three hundred and five unit property. So it's a. Woo-hoo! Big one,
0: yeah. I'll double you up. That's awesome. It will, yeah, um, yeah, it'll be more. So, all right. So, six hundred units. You're running. You're buying the properties. You're self managing. You built a management company. Yep. You also said construction company. So, do these companies only serve your six hundred units, or do they take on yeah, third parties? No, just, just our stuff. Yeah, because I'm not a
1: broker. You know, so I so the guy that I ended up going doing property management with, management with for the fifty. I brought him in on a deal I was doing and gave him some equity so I could kind of secure him in so that he wouldn't let my stuff go. Uh, And then he is a broker. So he's kind of like my affiliate broker if I Mm -hmm. wanted to go out and do somebody else's. But right now it's just, I'm solely focused on our own own stuff because, you know, if I come, I always think of it as this, if I come to you and I say, hey, I want you to invest in a property that I'm doing and I think you're going to get an 8-pref with, you know, 18% IRR or whatever, how do I really know that that's going to happen. And it, to me, I only know if I'm directly involved in, you know, the daily, not the, necessarily the daily. Again, I'm not on the ground at the complex every day, but, you know, we have team meetings every week and I and I can drive to any one of my properties. I don't, you know, nothing. I haven't, I haven't bought anything that's more than an hour from where I live. So you guys that buy, you know, like you buy in other states is absolutely crazy to me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not at that comfort level yet, uh, to, to let, you know, to allow that to happen. But because I've seen though, like I've bought a property from guys that, mm-hmm. you know, the 70 and we bought in Columbus, these guys lived in California. They bought the property. They didn't have enough capital. It went down to really, really quick because the management company they signed on was terrible. And we bought it from them in a distressed situation great for us, but I mean, those guys lost a lot of money on it. And, yeah. and so that's really it is um, if you don't know, if you've never done it before, you're making it even harder to go into another state and buy without having somebody local, like a local operator that knows what they're doing. At least that's my percent.
0: No, I, I agree. Um, and to get around that, we usually do have some kind of local partner local boots on the ground because you need to, to have somebody that can, go buy the property and see what's going on every now and then, especially if you're a plane right away. Um, and I've since moved actually pretty close to one of our assets. I say pretty close. It's still an hour 40 away. So it's, that'd be far for on your standards, but for me, I don't have to yeah. you know, drive for eight hours to get there. Um, and I'm already seeing such an amazing um, difference in my relationship with the staff and how I'm able to come down and just do one or two key things and then get back home. Yep. It doesn't feel like there's so much pressure on every single visit to um, to, to get through everything. So yeah. uh, I'm definitely seeing that now. Now that I'm I'm down here, but um, you know we figured out a way to make it work too. So but I, I love your approach. Um, what would you say is the biggest benefit to vertically integrating this way?
1: Um, I mean, for me, I always looked at you know when I buy the properties, right, and I'm like, oh, I've got 50% of the equity, or 40%, or 70%, whatever. Like to me, that's like the long-term play. And I was always like, if I want to leave my career and be a full-time investor, how am I getting paid right now? And that's why a lot of guys at Flip Houses that I am friends with, they love it because they get paid right now, but they don't have any long-term wealth building going on. And so it's really been helpful because not only are we able to, you know, be uh, you know, knowledgeable of what's going on in our properties, but I still act like a property management company. So there's still a 10 to 15% fee, for markup for me managing the construction and, and for me, you know, like I said, because of my size, now I've worked a really, really great deal out with Lowe's uh, and we we created a national buying account where we get our pricing is heavily discounted uh, because of our size and the amount of volume. I'll do over a million and a half in the one store that's local to me this year and become their biggest customer. Um, And then we do, we've got a couple of accounts like that. And so because of our size and our scalability it's helped me reduce my costs but I still, you know, like I said, I get the company gets paid to manage. I get paid for that. We get paid to manage the construction. So all of that is built in when we underwrite. Cause if it wasn't paying me, it would be paying, you know, the third party person. So yeah. we just treat it that way that that's, you know, that so it helps me now. Uh, and it, oh, then I'm also, like I said, it helps me later. So that's, that's part of what I love about vertically integrating. Um, and then what like I said, just- the ability for the like Lowe's and whatnot to recognize you as like a, you know, they're chasing you down and, and yeah. trying to give you, you know, all these discounts and whatnot where before it I was just me by myself, you know, I was just another guy in, in standing in line at the, at the yeah. there.
0: no, I I've had similar experiences as well. And, uh, it's kind of nice, right? Yeah. Right? I had an interaction with the head of bear paint for all of North Carolina. And he's literally helping me load, you know, giant uh, cans of paint in the back of my truck and, and all that. And yeah, you, you feel, uh, yeah, you feel a little special. Um, but the pricing, that's where it's at for sure. Yeah. Um, what does the staff look like for uh, each of your companies?
1: So we have the construction sides. What I did was I, I found a guy that was, um, you know, he is a Hispanic guy that I knew through a friend who was flipping houses and had, he had used them on some flips. And I loved it because he said that this guy does phenomenal work. You don't have to babysit him. I'll walk a house with him. We'll agree on a price. I come back a month later and it's done. And I'm like, that sounds like a guy I need to meet. So, I met with him and he was kind of uh, very loosely structured. He was calling himself a construction company, but like he really didn't, you know, he was licensed insured and all that stuff, but he just like, he had no like real business side set up. Uh, and so what I did was I just pitched him and I'm like, well, hey, look, let's do a three-year contract where I, you come and work exclusively for me and all of our properties. And by doing so, you, those his guys can fine tune everything, but they do roofing, concrete, everything. I mean, they, they can do everything. And so uh, it's got about 35 guys. And at this point, I mean, we originally, we were going to do like a three-year contract, but now we pretty much absorbed them and you know, they're uh, we have, again, I keep them just for myself, but I don't have any contractor problems. I don't have to deal with different bids and whatever. I mean, the price is the price. We know what the labor price are. I know what my material costs are. And now if I'm looking at a deal, we already have all the numbers plugged in because it's just, it's the same on every, on every one of them. And then the headache of dealing with contractors is greatly reduced because these guys, they're always the same. Yeah. Um, So that's been super helpful. And um, you know, I mean, like I said, it's probably not for everybody. I know there's people out there that don't think that vertically integrating is a good idea that you should just solely focus on finding assets and all those things. But, you know, to me, I'd rather have you know, everybody's like, it's like a race to a thousand units. As I always hear people say they want to get a thousand doors. Well, I'd rather have 500 of the right doors than just a yes. thousand of mediocre doors or mm-hmm. getting to a bad deal or whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's a way for me. I'm kind of, like I said, building systems, building the processes, building the the, the team, and then we can go tackle, you know, we could, we could propel to 2000 units at that point, but you've got to spend the time kind of getting everything right. Uh, and making the right decisions now, so that way it ripples on into the future.
0: Absolutely makes a lot of sense. Um, and give us a quick overview on the management side.
1: So I've got right now we have what I have a property manager who she oversees all the leasing agents. We have three leasing agents, and I have four uh, maintenance
0: guys. Got it for and the six hundred doors. Yep.
1: So they okay. they you they uh, they do uh, at folio. For our software. And like I said, they're strategically kind of placed all over. So depending on, cause not all the properties are like in the same location. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might have like one or two in this area and then one or two over here. And then the, the main property manager, she's kind of like a regional person that she just floats between the properties yeah. and make sure that all the the policies and procedures and all the dyes are dotted, t's are crossed, whatnot. And you know, all the logistics and inventory and all those things are handled and all that stuff.
0: Well, Seth, I think we could do a whole show just on those three sentences alone. Well, you get hey, uh, have me back.
1: I'll come back I, anytime. I would
0: love to. I would love to because um, personally, you know, we've had some conversations like, okay, we're about twelve hundred un- units right now. You know, when does self management make sense, and how would we even do that? So, uh, yeah, I want to pick your brain, and maybe we'll do it on the show. So, yeah. so why not? So everyone else can benefit. I would love, love to to do that. Um, before we go. Please tell everyone how and where they can find you and your company.
1: Uh, so I'm on Facebook. You just look up Seth Teagle; it should pull it up. Uh, we have our current website, which is don't judge me by that when you go look at it. But uh, we're in the process of revamping it. But it's uh, it's www. uh groups is with an s.com uh, And then um, my you know I can put my phone number in the show notes or whatnot. And anybody that sure. you know give me a call, and we can. Or schedule a time to uh, discuss. My email uh, is Seth at the stream That might be easier to email me and then we can get time to set up to, to chat if anybody wants to. So.
0: Absolutely. Um, and Seth, I'll have you know that I sent you a friend request and you've not responded. So Ooh. hopefully one day. It must have, have
1: been today because I would have responded <laughs> to you. <laughs> I will say it's funny though because you, I, I get, I put, you know, you put real estate investor on your, on your profile picture and all of a sudden you get like 500 a day. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You got to weed um, through some of that stuff, but I definitely will. We, we can be friends. I think there'll be good times.
0: Oh, oh wait, I just checked. It was the other way around. I'm sorry. You oh, requested me and I did not There return. you I'll go. go. <laughs> nah, that's what I that's I'll call myself out. I'll call that's myself out. Time. Nope. I had it backwards. All right. I hit the blue check. We're friends now. Perfect. Um, so all of you need to go be friends with Seth on Facebook as well. Um, Seth, our final question. Um, somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. I want to go buy that 50 unit. What is your true multifamily tip for them?
1: Uh, I would say two things. So if you're uh, somebody that's brand new getting into real estate, I would find somebody that's doing something, even if it's a four unit and offer to help them with whatever that they may need. Uh, and it may just be, they need an errand, they need somebody to run errands, right? To go to Lowe's and pick up material or go do whatever on that side. So I think, again, people always say providing value, but thinking about it long and hard, buying lunches and coffees are great, but I don't have time for everybody that wants to do that. So great tip, um, by the way you know, I would say find what you think would be a pain point for somebody and fix the problem and then present them the solution that you'll get their time. Uh, And then second thing that I offer to a lot of guys that I'm friends with that have either flips or single family rentals, rather than doing your birth strategy and refining and go buying your other one, um, I've told them refi that thing and take that cash and put it into one of my deals and then you get the cockpit view on what it's like to do large multifamily because i only have so much time and anybody that invests in my deals i answer their phone calls when they call you know what i mean i said i'll carve out time for that and and so i've taught a lot of guys single family guys they might not be able to to go take down a 50 unit right now but they can put in fifty thousand dollars off that last flip they did or whatever and now they've bought themselves a place at the table to where we can meet, we can talk, we can, you know, and that's the safest way to do it, right? Is you're learning from somebody else that's already done it. Uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of what the, the two ways I go about telling people that want to get into it is pretty much that because otherwise it's hard to take people serious. I've had a lot of people say they want to get involved and you give them actionable steps and then they don't do anything. So that happens a lot.
0: It does. It does happen a lot. hundred percent. I love those two tips. So such great advice. And I really, I couldn't agree more. So Seth, thank you for coming on the show. If you missed any of Seth's contact information that is on our website, truemultifamily.show, go to the episode page and learn all about Seth. Get all of his social links, website links there. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're like Seth and you have a story, please come share it with us. Cause I would love to chat with you and I'm sure Seth would love to chat with you too. So Absolutely. please, uh, please come on. We'd love to hear from you guys. Seth, Thank you for reaching out. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yep. Thank you for having me.
0: Have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.